This episode of Backtalk is brought to you by longtime bitch media sponsor Gladrags, who bring you all the essentials for a safe, sustainable period. Learn about cloth pads and menstrual cups when you sign up for their newsletter at gladrags.com and be entered to win a mini cloth pad starter set. Make sure you tell them Backtalk sent you. Hello and welcome to Back Talk. This show is a conversation between two feminist people who care about pop culture. I'm Sarah Merck, and I'm the online editor of Bitch Media, which means that this week I've been working on trying to write the definitive think piece on the feminist issues with Jurassic World. <laughs> and <laughs> have been uh, moderately failing. I have not yet written it. <laughs> and I'm Amy Lam. I'm the associate editor, and I am sitting in a hot closet in Philadelphia in an Airbnb place. <laughs> just, I'm like, I'm so devoted to this podcast that I'm doing this for you all. <laughs> Thank you for joining us from a closet, Amy, on the East Coast. Um, all right, so uh, every week on Back Talk, we talk about two big issues in pop culture this week, and then one thing we read, one thing we saw, and one thing we heard. But we start off the show by talking about our favorite pop culture moment from the week. Amy, do you want to get started? Yeah, sure. From your closet? Yes. <laughs> so the reason why I'm out in the East Coast because um, I was at a writing retreat in New York City, and that's my pop culture moment because um, it was this... Uh, workshop retreat that's put on by an organization called Kundimon, and it is their mission is dedicated to creating the creation and cultivation of Asian American literature. So I got to spend time in rooms where I was just surrounded by other Asian American poets and fiction writers, and it was so magical just to like sit in a room and and everywhere I looked, no matter whose face I was looking at, I was looking at like a you know from South Asia, East Asia, Southeast Asia, all over Asia, like Asian American folks or or just Asian Asian folks that were in their room and they were all artists and it was so um, like nourishing and such a great place to be and I'm really grateful to have been able to do that. Was there a specific piece of writing you were working on? No, it's a generative. Uh, workshop. So just going in there and sort of like tossing things around. And I started on a lot of pieces. So hopefully I'll finish them. <laughs> awesome. That sounds really great. Uh, my favorite piece of pop culture from the week. This isn't something that's about me personally, but I just have to say that I loved watching the video of Bree Newsome, the activist and artist who went to um, the South Carolina State Capitol and climbed the flagpole and took down the Confederate flag. That video was so awesome that she was like, you know what, I'm just going to do this. I'm not going to wait for the legislature to, to vote on taking it down. This thing needs to go. And so I've watched that video a couple times now, and every time it just kind of gives me shivers watching her grab the Confederate flag and come back down to earth. She does it with such grace, too. So since we last recorded Backtalk, there has been some big national news. The Supreme Court ruled that um, not letting people get married because they're in same-sex relationships is unconstitutional. And bam, we now have legal same-sex marriage in all 50 states. Very exciting. Yay, SCOTUS! <laughs> and so I think that, I mean, my response to this is like, is like marriage is a basic right that should be a starting point for equality. And hopefully, I feel like I feel like there can be this perception. Here in Oregon, we've had um, same-sex marriage has been legal for a little over a year now. And I kind of feel like people get 
complacent about it. They're like, we have equality now with between LGBT people and non-LGBT people because they can get married. Like, what more do you want? What else is there? And so I think it's really important right now to keep focused on all the other equality issues that we need to be still working on now that marriage is established as a basic right. Yeah, it's especially interesting since um, a couple days prior to the SCOTUS ruling, um, President Obama held like a pride event in the White House. And during this event, you know, he was speaking and an undocumented trans activist, Yanisette Gutierrez, uh, she was there and she, some mainstream media uh framed it as her heckling the president but I, I just framed I just felt like she was you know get, trying to get her voice heard in the best way she could um, which was in a room full of other people who were not there to listen to her speak but um, so she was she was trying to say that to call for the release of all uh, LGBTQ detainees from detention centers especially trans women because they face a higher rate of abuse and to basically stop all deportation so that's like so with that happening right before the SCOTUS ruling, you know, it, it really did shine a light on like there are other issues affecting LGBTQ folks besides marriage. And, um, and now that we have this, which is um, really great and amazing that we can maybe divest more energy <laughs> and to really look into the other issues that um, are also really important. Yeah, I mean, bar- marriage is such an important thing to have for people, whether or not you want to get married, you should be able to have the ability to get married and all of the rights that are associated with that. But it has really overshadowed all the other equality issues that are super important to work on. And I made a list, actually, I made a list of like 10 um, equality issues to keep working on tomorrow. And I published on the day of the celebration and the day of the ruling because I want to be like, well, look, there's still this other stuff going on. So there's, there's of course, there's deportation and um, transgender people being housed in the wrong facility Um when, when they're detained or in jail. But then there's also issues um, just about quality of life and access to services for LGBT people. Like look at the, the rates of homelessness among LGBT youth are way, way higher than non-LGBT youth. And, and there's not a lot of dedicated shelter space for them or training at shelters about how to deal with LGBT youth specifically. And that's one thing where we've seen politicians be like, yay, I'm totally, you know, pro-gay, but I'm going to cut funding for homeless services. I'm going to cut funding for homeless shelters. Right. That was something that was really interesting when I was reading your piece was that um, it said that 40 percent of homeless youth, homeless youth identifies LGBTQ. Like that's that's a disproportionate number of, of um, young people who may feel like they are not supported by their families and have to leave their homes. And in terms of mm-hmm. um, like LGBTQ immigrants who you know are facing deportation from America, like a lot of times they came to the States because um, to be LGBTQ in their home countries, it's illegal and they face even harder uh, barriers there. And to force them back to that, like, that place just doesn't seem right. Yeah. And another big issue that's, that I think is not on people's radar but should be um, is discrimination in housing and in employment. That there's not a uh, national law saying that it's, it's illegal to discriminate against um, people because of their gender or sexual orientation when you're hiring somebody or deciding to fire somebody or deciding to uh, rent to them. So it's not one of those like protected classes like religion or race. In many, many states, you can legally be fired because your boss doesn't like that you're gay. And like that should not exist. That, that should be changed. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> On the day of the ruling, I went down to downtown Portland. There was like this big 
celebration and it was so great and it was like I think like at least 100 or 150 people in this park like in the sunshine waving signs and being super excited and so it was a moment of celebration but they had made all these signs um, that said we're not done you know that we're, we're not done yet so it was this whole crowd of people celebrating but also holding these signs saying we're not done and one of the big issues they were talking about there that is important is um, trans-inclusive health care. So having health insurance cover um, gender reassignment surgery or, uh, or treatments for people who are transgender um, who want to transition in some way. That's something that is like, is, that is like the next frontier of, of equality is saying, hey, this is a medical condition. We should have basic health care cover it. All right, so our next topic of conversation is the World Cup. Woo! <laughs> um, of course, over the past month, the best female soccer athletes from around the world have been duking it out at the Women's World Cup in Vancouver. And over the weekend, it came down to the finals, the Japanese team versus the U.S. women's national team. Um, and the U.S. women's national team was victorious. We can play a clip of the audio from the final moments here. So I didn't actually watch the last match because I was in the woods on the 4th of July, staying away from fireworks and all people. But you watched the last match, right, Amy? Uh, yes, it was the only match I watched because <laughs> um, I was visiting a friend in Camden, New Jersey, and she's really into the game. And um, so we were at a bar and we were the in her, we were I was with her and her sister and uh, we were the only Asian people in the bar. And um, and I. I am a person who will go with the flow and I will pretty much watch any type of sporting thing, especially if it's like a final or something. Um, so I was actually into it. And uh, and when U.S. scored, I think two goals within the first five minutes, it was just like, OK, this game is over. But as the game progressively went on, um, I, I did have this like this like really fucked up fear that like maybe somebody in the bar um, might say some anti like. Asian racist remarks during the, the course of the game and it's just when you're watching types of uh, sporting events where it's like between nations and where you're in the final of the U.S. is in the finals and you're in the U.S. and you're watching it um, and you're playing another team that just like looks so different than the American team which is very white you just have to like brace yourself to be like like I'm having anxiety of watching the game because it's like really exciting but then I'm also having anxiety um, you know trying to deal with okay if somebody can say something like racist right now what am I gonna do <laughs> I'm not even that invested in this game but I might have to sit here and listen to some racist shit but luckily nobody said anything and the game was actually really exciting um and there was like some amazing like, scoring happening on the U.S. Te U.S. Um, team and it was a fun game to watch definitely mm -hmm. yeah so you're just sitting in this bar holding your breath being like like, please don't say anything racist. Please don't yes, say anything yes. racist. <laughs> and it turned out like the, the two women I was with, they were actually rooting for Japan. I think it's because they felt like Japan was like a more cohesive team. They've done so good during the tournament and everything. So they were also bummed that, that Japan lost. But I was just like worried that like we might have to like deal with some racist shit. But we did it. Thank goodness. Well, Japan was the reigning champion. So, you know, technically the United States was the underdog here. The United States is never of. an underdog. <laughs> <laughs> And actually, I read oh. a, a really interesting piece on color lines. Um, the title is, uh, in case you missed it, Mexican-American soccer star was turned away from the mostly white U.S. team. Because, you know, when you watch the U.S. team play, it, you're, I mean, I, I was struck that, like, wow, 
these are very white women playing on this team. And, um, and so the color line story, uh, references a ESPN W piece, um, about Mexican American player Teresa Noyola. And, uh, she was told, um, by the coach of the U S uh, national team at one point that like, quote, if I were you, I consider, I consider playing for Mexico because she has dual citizenship. So this piece doesn't really like go into why the American um, U.S. soccer team is so white, but it, it does bring up a good question about um, why does that team look like that? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Another big, another big issue that was coming up a lot during the World Cup was uh, FIFA's history of sexism and not treating the women's sports teams fa- fairly and equally. And so I think the big, the big headlines that came out after the U.S. win over the weekend was about FIFA's pay gap, where there's a huge pay gap between what female players are paid and what male players are paid, even though right now the the U.S. women's national team is the global champions and the male team is like 26th in the world. There's still a big pay gap there. And that's sometimes some of the, the top athletes in women's professional soccer are paid anywhere between $6,000 a year up, up to like $60,000 a year, as well as FIFA's whole history of making women play on artificial turf and not, uh, not listening to them when they said they wanted to play on grass, as well as just like routinely... Um, not promoting women within FIFA's organization. That's something that's been written about a ton is how there's all this like positive focus on the Women's World Cup right now because FIFA is being plagued by these, by um, the, the the accusations of corruption, which like hooray for U.S. Attorney Gen- General Loretta Lynch going after those charges. Um, but so as FIFA is being plagued by these these issues of corruption, they're like, go watch the Women's World Cup. Yay, positive story. And the women are like, Yay, come watch us. But also it would be sweet if FIFA treated us fairly and like had a more diverse and inclusive organization and didn't just sort of lean on women for positive media coverage when it's in deep trouble. (laughs) I watched a couple of the World Cup games and it was super fun and a great vibe. When I watched them here in Portland in a couple different bars, it was like bars packed with mostly women who were cheering for these sports teams. I kind of wish more dudes had come out to watch the games, but, you know, it was fine. It was fun being in a bar full of um, women watching just the, the, the preliminary rounds of the World Cup. Um, it was really fun to watch. I think I will totally keep watching women's soccer whenever I can in the future, whenever it's screened on TVs and bars, which is not very often. So here we are at the end of the show. We talked about one thing we heard, one thing we read, and one thing we saw this week. What should we start with, Amy? What do you feel like? Um, I can start with something I've watched recently. Yeah, so it's um, it's this new web series on that's uh, made in associate with MTV, and it's hosted by Francesca Ramsey, who's uh, kind of a big YouTube star, and she does a lot of uh, videos uh, focusing on social justice. And in this series, it's called Decoded. And I think from the episodes I've seen, and like the gist of it is that like she wants to talk to you about um, issues that are framed around race, but in a, like, in like a fun way. Um, so like, for example, some of the different short episodes are titled like, does race affect your dating life or, uh, 13 things white people take for granted. Or she even tackles like more serious topics, like, um, with the, the recent spat of like, um, 
black churches being burned down. So there's an episode called Black Churches, White Terrorism, where she talks about the history of black churches and what it means that, you know, this is happening right now. It's not receiving enough um, media coverage. And she does it in like really short, accessible, funny and smart videos. And uh, I wanted to play a clip here from this um, the episode called How Do You Handle a Racist Joke? So what do you do if you hear a racist joke? Here's what's worked for me. First, I ask myself, can I talk about this now? Basically, you gotta pick your battles. Not every situation is suited for don't be a racist 101. No, grandma, this ends now. But if I can talk about it in that moment, I usually try one of these. The sarcastic approach. You know what's really funny? Ironic racism, still racist. Go completely silent. Play dumb. Huh, I just, I don't get it. I mean, this country was stolen from the Native Americans, built by slave labor and founded by immigrants, so technically, wouldn't that make you illegal? Reply with a judgmental gif, or jif if you're one of those. Or you can just unfriend them. I mean, you don't have to put up with that online or off. It's not your job to educate everyone. And when all else fails, just be honest and direct. Hey, that's not funny. I'm, I'm really not cool with jokes about people who already have it bad enough, so, Please don't say stuff like that around me. So does that mean everything? Yeah, I I love Francesca Ramsey's work, and I'm so glad that MTV is paying her to make it now. That seems great. MTV has been like snapping up a couple great social justice oriented YouTube stars, Francesca Ramsey, and then also Lacey Green, who does sort of feminist work and sexual health videos on YouTube. And it's cool. I think it's really cool to see these people who are like making these passion projects of videos that they have stuff they care about and have MTV come along and, and give them a bit more of a platform and say, hey, we'll pay you to keep making the awesome stuff you're making and give you some more resources to do it. Maybe MTV is trying to atone for never showing music videos anymore and, in, and, uh, <laughs> and inundating us with all those awful seasons of the real world where it's just like hot, sexy young people having sex. It was the worst. <laughs> I don't know if they can ever make up for that, but giving Francesca Ramsey as much money as possible is like a good start. Um, all right, so I want to talk about one thing I read this week, which is um, a new book by a journalist uh, who writes about technology, and her name is Violet Blue, and the book is called A Smart Girl's Guide to Privacy, which I'm not in love with the title of the book because actually is not like an elitist thing for smart girls. It's like basic internet privacy protections. Um, that you can take to help defend yourself against stalking, harassment, identity theft online. And she frames it around this being a huge gendered issue because women are more likely to be the targets of uh, harassment and stalking and abuse online. And that social media companies kind of don't care about what happens to your personal information and sharing it. And so the book is a really super handy, practical, accessible guide to basically making sure that you don't have any information about you online that you don't want to have online. And it's like a preemptive protection against that. Um, one thing she does, she recommends doing is uh, looking up any domain names you own and seeing if you can find your address based on the ownership records of the domain names. I did that for my personal website and I was really surprised to find that, yes, my house address was listed on the internet. You could, you could basically press three clicks and get to see where I live. So I was like, oh, geez, that was a big wake up call for me. So what I've been listening to lately is this awesome record that was actually recently reviewed in um, Bitch's latest issue, The Blue Issue. And the reviewer is Claire Ashton. And the artist is Mitski. And the record is called 
bury me at Makeout Creek, which is actually a, a quote that Milhouse says on The Simpsons. <laughs> oh, you're right. Yeah. He's like, bury me at Makeout yeah, Creek. Yeah, it's dying or whatever. <laughs> so Mitski is a kind of like singer-songwriter, but her record is just like full of fuzzy guitar and um, minimal like garage feel. And she's got this really haunting and beautiful voice. And it, it might sound kind of os- oxymoronic, but it has a really like laid back urgency. Her music does. Um, and so I want to play us out with the track called Townie. Awesome. Well, Amy, thanks for talking to us from a closet in Philadelphia. Come home soon. Yes, I am going to pack everything up and I'm running out the door to catch a bus and a train and a plane and I'll be there soon. (laughs) Thanks, Amy. Good luck on your flight. Thanks for listening to Back Talk. This podcast is hosted by Sarah Merck and Amy Lamb from Bitch Media. The show is produced by Alex Ward. Bitch Media is a reader and listener supported feminist nonprofit. If you want to support the show and our work, please head over to bitchmedia.org and donate. This episode of Backtalk is brought to you by longtime bitch media sponsor Gladrags, who bring you all the essentials for a safe, sustainable period. Learn about cloth pads and menstrual cups when you sign up for their newsletter at gladrags.com and be entered to win a mini cloth pad starter set. Make sure you tell them Backtalk sent you.